Welcome to the Hypermobility Happy Hour. My name is Carrie Gabrielson, and I'm an attorney and a patient living with hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and other related conditions. Today, I'm very excited to be speaking with Karina Sturm, a journalist and filmmaker whose recent film, We Are Visible, documents the journey of many patients with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. We Are Visible has been receiving numerous accolades recently, including from the New York Film Awards, the Los Angeles Film Awards, the prestigious International Film Awards, and an honorable mention from the Florence Film Awards. We Are Visible seeks to show the full picture of living with EDS, including the complex presentation of symptoms, the complications when searching for a diagnosis, misdiagnoses and their harmful consequences, issues with accessibility of care, as well as the day-to-day challenges faced by patients living with this mysterious syndrome. We Are Visible focuses on the one thing that unites all patients with this condition, their never-ending endurance to overcome the obstacles associated with their conditions and to thrive. The, The film conveys the hope and strength with which EDS patients fight for a better quality of life and care. Hello, Karina, and thanks for joining us today. Hi, thanks for having me. Let's dive right in. When did you first learn about EDS? So I first learned about EDS back in around 2012. Um, I got severely ill in 2010 with some symptoms related to cervical spine instability. Um, And nobody really knew why I had this or what to do about it. Um, So at some point I started to research myself um, and then I stumbled upon the term Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. But none of my doctors really considered this as a diagnosis, so I forgot about it. Um, but then years later, after my symptoms progressed and I didn't get any answers in Germany, um, I traveled to the United States. Um, I had some alternative treatments there, and I was then referred to a doctor, which turned out to be an ED- turned out to be an EDS um, expert by coincidence. So um, in 2014, he diagnosed me with EDS and several comorbid conditions. Um, So in fact, this was the second time I have heard about EDS, but it was um, the first time that somebody actually explained to me what EDS means. Yeah, it's really unfortunate for how many patients it takes such a long time between the initial development of symptoms and when a diagnosis is actually made. Um, I guess, can you tell us a little bit about um, what it was like to get that diagnosis and whether it's helped you find better solutions in your care as a result? Yeah, sure. Um, So I think it was a relief and a shock at the same time. Um, because, you know, before I got the diagnosis, I thought maybe there is something that I can do to get rid of my cervical spine issues and just live a healthy life again. But then I got the EDS diagnosis, and it was clear that I'm chronically ill and that this isn't going to go away at some point. So um, that was a huge shock, but at the same time, I also felt relieved because after, you know, four years of not knowing what's going on with my body, I finally had answers, and I finally knew that, you know, now at least I could start treating this um, and maybe get a little better. So, yeah, I feel like I was shock and relief at the same time. And it did change a lot for me because um, before I had the EDS diagnosis, uh, many doctors just didn't 
believe me. So they doubted my symptoms. They told me it's all in my head, you know, all this, all those comments we all know. Um, but then I had the EDS diagnosis and all of a sudden doctors were like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and they took me seriously and they actually started to offer me treatment options, which they didn't before. That's great to hear. And yes, it's incredibly unfortunate how many patients are told that these issues are in their head when really a lot of times they're experiencing sometimes chronic widespread body pain and just the extra wear and tear and damage that we experience, as well as the increased sensitivity to that pain um, can certainly make life very difficult. So I'm glad that you've um, found more answers and um, I'm glad that you were well enough to make this film that we talked about a little bit at the beginning. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about the decision to make We Are Visible? Yeah, sure. Um, so I decided to make this film when I started my journalism program in Scotland in the beginning of 2018. So basically, the moment I heard we were allowed to produce a film for our master's thesis, I wanted to make a film about people living with EDS. Um, back at that point, I had already taken part in you know many awareness projects, but mainly journalistic and academic articles about EDS. So filming was completely new to me. Um, I had never filmed before. I had really no idea about filmmaking itself, but I really wanted to give a voice to our community. And I also found that film is a great medium to actually make other people understand our invisible condition a bit better. Um, so I picked up the camera in May 2018 and released the film in October 2019. <laughs> um, overall, I filmed in about six countries. Um, I filmed in Germany, in the United States, in Holland, Belgium, in England and Malta. And it took me around, I think, 14 months um, to finish the whole film. But it was by far the most incredible experience of my life. Wow. Yeah, that sounds truly amazing. and. I'm so glad that you had the opportunity to go to all those places and connect with so many um, amazing people living with this condition. Um, I read that you kind of wanted to feature some of the different aspects of living with Ehlers-Danlos using different people as a lens for those issues. Could you tell us a little bit about how you made that decision and which issues you decided to focus on and then how you decided to tell that story? Um, yeah, I can try. <laughs> so basically, um, I kind of tried to connect to people first and then um, interviewed them to find out more about their specific challenges. Um, and that's, you know, how I put all the pieces together. So I wanted to focus on one particular challenge um, in each country. And hopefully, you know, all of them together would show the full picture of EDS. I mean, it's kind of hard to capture every aspect of EDS because there are just so many. Um, but yeah, so we picked um, <clears throat> like the the most challenging um, in every country. And how did you manage working with your own symptoms while you were making this film? Was that a struggle? Yes, um, that was probably one of the biggest obstacles I had. Um, you know, filming is very hard for someone with EDS. And there were times when I felt like I should just stop and protect myself from further harm. But then again, this project meant so much to me, so I just couldn't. Um, but yeah, it, it had quite um, 
to be a consequence for my own health. But I guess it was worth it. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. And I hope that you've been able to get some rest and kind of recuperate um, since making it, um, because I agree and really support your your passion to get this story told, because it's it's unfortunate how systemic a lot of these issues are. And yet, um, at least it's been my impression that, you know, hearing the stories of other people really gives us the sense that we're ultimately not alone in this struggle. And hopefully if we come together and share our stories, we can make some real progress. No. So besides your, your working with your own symptoms and working around that, what were the other biggest obstacles to getting this film ultimately produced and distributed? Uh, oh gosh, there were many. Um, <laughs> so besides my own health issues, obviously, you know, when you film people with chronic health, health issues, you um, never really know how they might feel the day you arrive. So we had lots of, you know, changed plans due to some acute complications that my contributors experienced. Um, then um, logistics was uh, always a big one because we filmed um, a lot during winter. So there were, you know, flights canceled. Um, and then you have the typical filmmaking challenges. Um, so, for example, like literally on the first day when I started to film, my camera broke. Um, <laughs> so um, and then you have ethical decisions to make. Um, and of course, there were um, lots of financial restrictions. Um, I paid for this whole film myself and sometimes didn't quite know how to afford to travel to all these countries. Um, but in the end, it somehow all worked out. That's amazing. And yeah, what a great story of perseverance. And I, I imagine, you know, you gave us kind of a good overview, but I imagine that really it was um, really a big struggle in getting this done Um you know, even for somebody that doesn't have um, the symptoms, it would be. So that's really um, great commendations to you. And the fact that you did it so quickly, too, is just incredibly impressive. Thanks. Um, yeah, you're welcome. Um, if there is one central message of the film or one thing that you would want viewers to take away from the experience, what would that be? So I think what I was hoping to accomplish with my film is to show EDS in a global context and to um, emphasize not only the challenges we face every day, but also the incredible strength every person with EDS has um, to cope with all those obstacles. And I also wanted that non-disabled viewers of this film um, could understand more about this invisible condition and for disabled viewers to be able to relate. That's a great message, and I really wholeheartedly support it, and it's really something that a lot of us need to be reminded of because a lot of the challenges that we experience um, can certainly make us feel very defeated. And so I think it's really great to focus on on the positives and on the strengths. Um, as a patient living with EDS, what do you think are the most important areas of future research and if you could, um, you know, be in charge of decisions related to future research, where do you think those efforts should be directed? <laughs> oh, gosh, there are so many important areas, and I guess there wouldn't be enough money for all of this research. Um, if I had, like, one personal wish related to my own struggles, I would hope for more research and especially training in the area of cervical spine instabilities, Chiari malformation, and tether cord. Um, these are pretty severe complications of EDS, in my opinion, um, and many countries lack treatment options, especially, you know, many European countries. 
So it's super poorly understood, in my opinion. Um, and I also find the overlap between EDS and other related conditions very interesting. So I would love to see more research that clearly connects EDS and, for example, dysautonomia or EDS and mast cell activation. Because I think if we understand how these conditions are related and connected, there might be better treatment options in the future. But, um, you know, honestly, I just hope that the more we know about these connections, the more doctors might take us seriously. Because if there is academic proof, they cannot deny us the care we need. So I guess my biggest wish is just that every person with EDS has the access to the doctors and the treatments they need. And whatever gets us there, I'm fine with. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, I completely agree about the need for more research into cranial cervical instability um, and related conditions like that Chiari, atlantoaxial instability, because unfortunately, it seems like it's kind of a worldwide problem that it's really difficult getting to the right places and people to get those conditions investigated. And yet they can be really severely debilitating for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you mind telling us a little bit about what either what you found that helps your symptoms or in part, it's difficult because EDS is so variable from patient to patient. But maybe if you could tell us a little bit about the process for how you've um, figured out what works and what doesn't for you. Okay, I can try. <laughs> um, so uh, maybe I'll, I'll start with uh, giving a little background about um, the conditions I have and, you know, my, my, my biggest problems. Um, so are pretty much along my spine. Um, so I have uh, several unstable areas in my cervical spine, which cause, you know, um, lots of pain and neurological issues in my arms. Um, but I also have some issues in my lower back and with my sacroiliac joints on both sides. Um, so that causes issues with my legs. <laughs> and then I have um, tons of other comorbid conditions like POTS and mast cell activation. I have a bleeding disorder. Um, I have brainstem damage and things like that. So it's, it's quite a, like a complicated picture, um, which is also, you know, makes treatment a lot more complex. Um, but that's EDS life. I mean, many of us have all of these conditions, right? Um, so what I tried in the past was, um, pretty much physical therapy, um, to stabilize my unstable joints and to keep my muscles going. Um, over the last eight years, I had between two to three times a week of physical therapy and the remaining days I did my own exercises. Um, but then, um, the last year I had to completely quit all PT, um, due to, you know, progressing cervical spine instability. So I didn't tolerate any sort of exercise anymore, which was a big problem. Um, but when I still could tolerate PT, I found Pilates, um, hydrotherapy and water therapy very helpful. So these were the three kind of therapies that did the most for me. Um, and additionally, I love my braces. Um, so, you know, my neck brace, um, my sacroiliatic belt, they are very helpful to just um, function during, you know, everyday life. Um, and well, right now, since I don't do PT, um, I try to at least move as much as I can. So I have a a step goal for every day, which I discussed with my doctor and which I increase every month. Um, so I try to walk around 5,000 steps every day um, in the evening, you know, because after that, usually I feel 
not very good. I'm in a lot of pain, so I just try to go to sleep after. Um, I try to do small water activities every once in a while, like pedal boarding. And then um, I take medication for pain, for meth selectivation, for some others. Um, and for my emotional health, I find writing extremely beneficial. So I've always written in my diaries, but I got much, it got much more important after I became sick. It's kind of a way to process negative emotions for me. Um, yeah. So overall, I feel like EDS therapy is kind of a combination of many approaches. And for me, coping with my increased limitations, um, is the most important part. Yeah. Thanks so much for that overview. I think you really spoke to a lot of the, um, the need for a really holistic approach, um, when it comes to treating this condition. And I'm so glad that you've, um, investigated and kind of come up with protocols that work for you in different, um, aspects. And it's so, you also just touched on a great thing too, which is the need to come up with realistic goals and then work with our physicians. So I'm glad that you, you know, have this walking plan on board. I think that's really healthy. And um, yeah, I'm glad that you shared it. I think um, there's a lot in there that I really relate to. I found that when I can do Pilates, that's really great um, for me as well. But it, it can be, it can be a real challenge to find um, something that continually works for us because our symptoms can change yeah. and vary so much too. So, yeah. So thanks for um, giving us a little bit of that overview. Um, for those who have not yet seen your film and are interested in seeing it, uh, where or how would, would they be able to view it? Um, so currently we are in the process of setting up events um, where people can see the film all around the globe. Um, if these events are over, then the film will also be available on a video on demand website for a small fee benefiting an EDS organization. I don't know yet um, which platform this is going to be, but um, it's definitely somewhere in the end of 2020. And on Rare Disease Day, the film will be shown in a theater in Holland, and then there will be another showing in Holland at an EDS conference. Um, and most of these screenings are followed by a Q&A with me, either via Skype or live. So I'm going to um, travel to some of those events. Um, and if someone is interested in finding out more about this, they can um, see all the events and, you know, background about the film, about the people in the film on the official film's website, which is uh, www.we-r-visible-film.com. Or um, I also pretty much update my public Facebook profile every, you know, every now and, se and then um, it's at Karina Sturm 86. So that's how people can find out more. Great. Thanks for sharing your contact information. And we'll include um, the links to that information in the episode notes for this episode. And um, that sounds like a really tough schedule. So I hope you stay well during that time. And I wish you all the best of luck. And I think it's really just incredibly great what you're doing to spread awareness. So thank you again for all your efforts. I know it can't be easy. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, thanks. It's been great having you. And uh, thanks to all of you for joining us on this episode of Hypermobility Happy Hour. We'll catch you next time. Bye. The Hypermobility Happy Hour is produced by Dan Gabrielson. The music is by Sarah Giusti. Hypermobility disorders are complex and can be difficult to diagnose and treat. 
Information shared on this podcast may not apply to your specific condition, and this podcast is not intended to be a substitute or serve as any form of medical treatment. Talk with your physician to discuss which treatments might be right for you. Thanks.